Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Today's guests are Tim and Andrew, and uh, we're going to start off by hearing Tim's story, because Andrew's going to get less shy by the time he finishes his whiskey and coffee over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding, or coffee, maybe whiskey. Anyway, Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, um, yeah, I'm welcome. so glad to be here. Thank you. you know, yeah, welcome. Thanks for coming. Yes, it's something that I've never done before. I've shared my story in the past mm-hmm. quite a bit at in treatment centers, working in treatment, mm-hmm. um, but there's a big story before that of how I even got involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of started way back when, when I met a girl, um, and she had a four-year-old son. Uh, we started a relationship probably close to now 20 years ago, and um, yeah, so I kind of was together with her for 16 years, raised this four-year-old. Around when he turned about 15, he started to get involved with drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot to do with his surrounding, a lot to do with his friends, and he had trouble making friends. And you know, and then things started to get awkward around us. We built a very solid relationship. I took him on as my own, mm-hmm. right? Um, I did in that that first 15 years or the first. 10 years of his life, we had two other kids, my, my, my ex and I. Um, so it became a very difficult situation when my son was running around the city of West, Col- or actually it was in Calgary here, in Calgary, um, not showing up at night, selling, I'd find stuff missing in the house, a lot of my stuff. And, you know, I didn't understand this. Like years ago, I realized that, you know, addiction is a big thing. But I thought, you know what, I can fix this. You know, I'll just be his buddy, I'll just take him out, I'll, I'll bond with him, and that'll fix him, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't work. But I was under the assumption back there that I could do this because I'm a fixer, right? And I didn't want to, I took it on as more of a challenge that, you know what, I'm going to fix this kid. Mm-hmm. He was driving my ex crazy, like his mother. So I was going to fix this. Well, I went into my own insanity by chasing him around the city of Calgary, um, which became horrible. Like I remember situations where I walked into drug houses and threatened people that put my whole family, myself in jeopardy. But when you're in that insanity trying to fix your kid and trying to help like 
help them, but you're trying to fix them. Um, you're putting your life in harm's way mm -hmm. so bad. And it just pushed him farther and farther away. And between my ex and I, it drove a wedge between us so bad it wasn't funny. I became a different person. I became an angry person. I became a, I would threaten him. Um, but I look back to that now and I see how much I changed on a daily basis, how I went from being his buddy and when that didn't work, then I would turn to anger. Um, and there's many situations where I'd had him sit down, had a heart to heart, heart to heart with him, drove him downtown Calgary, showed him people on the streets, people that were putting needles in their arms. You want to be like this? And I remember, and he got it. I thought, you know, I remember going home that night and saying, you know what? I got through to him. He's not going to do this again. Mm -hmm. And the next day it starts again. And I'm like, what? Like, so then of course I turned to anger, but then I became my own investigator to try catching him to what he's doing and then throw it back at him, which mm -hmm. it just became worse. Yeah. So through friends of mine, we found a place in Calgary here called ARC, which is the Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center. Mm -hmm. We, prior to that, we took him to a lot of the government funded programs, ADAC, we took him to um, private um, counselors and everything, mm -hmm. and it just didn't seem to change. So anyways, we walked into the the doors of ARC and I was like, it was the best day of my life because I got, had this little bugger out of my life mm -hmm. and he was going to be locked up for a year to go through treatment and then found out that I was going to be part of this, that I had to attend every couple, couple days a week and mm -hmm. take kids to my house and it just blew my mind. I thought, what kind of place is this? I'm paying all this money to, to take this kid into to treatment to save our family mm -hmm. and now I'm going to have to be part of it. So anyways, I was very stood back from that. Um, my ex jumped on board right away because, yeah, she needed help. She wasn't, she was a very quiet person and, mm -hmm. you know, she could meet people and other women that she could relate to, right? But I still had this big ego that it's not me, it's him. You fix him, I'll be good. But I never realized how much it destroyed my family. And I'm talking my actions mm -hmm. from my young kids where they seen anger, which that's not part of my personality, but it became part of my new norm, right? Living in separate parts of the house, not sleeping in the same room as my wife. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. So I started to start the process of, uh, with ARC. And part of their process is the Al-Anon, which is friends and family of an alcoholic mm -hmm. and addict. And it's to work with the parents. And I still held this thing that I know everything. Don't worry about that. Just fix him, right? I'll just deal with it myself. You were well, probably the first person in ARC who ever thought that to you. Yeah. That they knew everything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the first I, parent in ARC, eh, yeah. Andrew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. And I, then I start to meet people that when they would share their story, and I was like, oh, my God, these guys have the same feeling. They're the same pardon my words, asshole, as I was, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of what I turned into. So then I started to accept the process, but it took a long time. My kid ran from ARC five or six times, mm -hmm. took off from ARC, and, you know, then I'd go chase him down in Calgary, bring him back to ARC, and that gave me the biggest hero cookie in the world because mm -hmm. I got to go find him, right? So I still hadn't got better myself. I could tell that I was still riding ego and um, a lot of anger. And then it came to a point that he, I remember he ran from ARC one day and they phoned me and they said that, yeah, Damien's gone. And I didn't go look for him. 
and something played out, and you'll hear this in many times in the Al-Anon world, is detaching with love. Mm. You know, it was the hardest thing I could do, but I started to realize that, you know what, I'm, I'm chasing this horrible dragon, and I'm never going to catch it. I'm never going to fix it, and I need to worry about me. And then if I'm not healthy, no one else is going to be. So that's when I started to do the work. I was introduced to the 12 steps of Al-Anon, and I started to work, and it was horrible, because I had to look at myself. Mm -hmm. I had to be honest, and that's part of the program in AA, NA, whatever program you look at, the honest part of it is the toughest pill to swallow, mm -hmm. right? So then I started to work with a, a guy in a clinical to start looking at all my stuff. Um, and it was painful. Um, I didn't want to do it. I could have walked away from it in a second. And I didn't realize I was actually learning something until the part that I detached when he ran and I didn't chase him down. And then some amazing people came into my life. Um, guys that I'd walk into ARC and they would hug me, but you'd actually, you'd feel that. You'd feel that connection, a connection in a way that they understood that shitty pain when you're sitting in your room mm -hmm. and you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. It was either um, fight through it or take off. And I was a person at that point that I would have just left everything and took off, right? So working through this process, it actually I started to feel better. I started to, started to share, which was the hardest thing in the world to sit up in front of a group of people and tell your feelings. Mm -hmm. When they ask you, how are you doing today? And I can deflect with the best of them. And until I actually had one facility said to me, how are you today? And I said, you know, my son's good, I'm good. Well, that's not the answer they were looking for. Mm -hmm. They wanted to know how I was doing. And then I finally realized that if I keep deflecting from this, I'm not ever going to move forward. Mm -hmm. And then I broke down in front of a whole bunch of people. And that became real, mm -hmm. right? It started to, it made me feel horrible for doing it. But in hindsight, after, it was the best thing I could have did because mm -hmm. now I got real. So yeah, I worked through the process. I was involved. We were there for nine, just about 10 months. Um, my stepson graduated. He, he relapsed shortly after that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, we stayed connected to the program yeah. because it wasn't about his recovery. It was about my recovery, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm very grateful for ARC that they gave me some insight into what addiction is about, mm -hmm. right? To me, it was just a choice, mm -hmm. you know? I, back, we, I don't have any substance abuses in my family, and I never thought I did mm -hmm. until I started to look back to our old, when I was a young kid and we were at our um, family reunions and I always had the two uncles that would be just get hammered and start fights, and I thought, you know what? They're just bad people. Mm -hmm. Well, now I look back today and think, did they? No, they're not. They're alcoholics, mm -hmm. and they're, it's uncontrollable. Like, and, you know, as time went on, I started to look at people differently, mm -hmm. right? I was a very judgmental person. I look at it as people are people. Some people have problems, mm -hmm. and it's not for me to identify them, but it's for me to accept and understand. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, so um, getting back to the ARC process, we graduated, um, we decided to, and part of that process is you bring kids into your house, mm -hmm. okay? They, it's, to me, that's a very curious process, part of the process, but I understand a little bit of it. It is so scary when you walk in to say, imagine. we're going to give you four kids that have come off the streets <laughs> to look after overnight, and it's like, yeah. the hell you are. <laughs> But yeah. it was probably by far the best part of the program mm -hmm. because, and I understand the reason why, it's because they need to integrate those people back into a healthy family, yeah. right? Before they go back to their own. And I grew to really care about kids mm -hmm. until, I've, until some tragic event happened in 2014, four kids, that I knew very closely, very good friends of mine, all passed away on relapsing within a week apart mm -hmm. on fentanyl overdoses. I was very close with the families, three out of four of the families I was very close with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the kids made it, went a choice to go back out and all died of a fentanyl overdose. Mm -hmm. So in that process, I remember one of the mothers that I was really close with, she, uh, I met her for coffee with another friend of mine that her daughter went through the program. And she didn't want her, her son to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in this coffee, I'll never forget this, and um, the lady's name was Sandra. Um, and she looked at me and I looked at her and, and she, was, she was one of the mothers that their, their, their daughter successfully is in recovery today. And we were with the mother that lost her, lost her son, which was a good friend. And she looks like, oh, are you in? And Saturday goes, yep. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we built a foundation. It's called the Four Boys Fund. So we right. worked a long time, many nights to pull this together. And finally, after about a year of working on it, it finally came together. Mm -hmm. And then of, I'm trying to think of the month, I think it was July of 2015, we presented it at ARC to the families, and they took it over from there. Right um, we built benches, we had a memorial services for them, and you know, it was something that, mm -hmm. it carried their names on, mm -hmm. right? You know, so yeah, so I've been connected with ARC for quite a few years. I moved back to Calgary just about four years ago. I opened my house and had clients coming to my house again. Mm -hmm. So they say that in working in treatment or being in treatment, you can drink the Kool-Aid and I drank the big glass mm -hmm. and I was in like, you know, yeah. when I went, when I moved back to Peachland, I worked at private in a private treatment center. Mm -hmm. I worked at two private treatment centers and I started off as a support worker and worked myself as a counselor. Mm -hmm. So I spent about four years working in two private treatment centers as a counselor, which I met adults. Like mm -hmm. these are people that have not just stepped into addiction, like yeah. the adolescents. These are people that have, destroyed their lives. Mm -hmm. And almost buried by it. Yeah. Exactly, right? Have been very wealthy people mm -hmm. that are basically living on the streets. Mm -hmm. Had very high-end professions and are living on the streets. Mm -hmm. So I ask questions, especially being a counselor, you ask the questions mm -hmm. of where did it start? Where I see that a lot of people that, um, professional hockey players that have got an injury, went on to um, being put on Percocets and mm -hmm. anything to alleviate that pain. And that progressed on to, over the years, to street drugs, mm -hmm. right? And it's because 
You know, and then people have this debate and about is marijuana an entry drug to addiction? I will debate them to the end that it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know a person that's an addiction. I've worked with hundreds that haven't started off in some aspects. If you have the bug, that's a start. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was like- But if you don't have the bug, it's not. It's not. Right? In some, yes it is. And that's why people who don't have it call, like say that a lot, right? It's you know because what? Yeah. They're not us, they're not me, right? They're not, yeah. I can't pick up a drink and I know yeah. And that's kind of the debate I've had with people over the years mm -hmm. because people say, well, if you smoke weed, you're not going to, that's all you're going to do. Well, no, because some people, I, will. Yeah. Some people but yeah. other people won't. Mm -hmm. And then people ask me how they, where does, where does it start? Well, my opinion to that is it's a lot of trauma base, mm -hmm. which is big, right? Mm -hmm. Huge. And it's like, it's a coping mechanism, mm -hmm. right? People have all kinds of different coping mechanisms. Could be anger, could be gambling, could be anything. And some people step into into addiction, right? Mm -hmm. um, so getting back to that, so I, when I came back to Calgary, um, I was taking kids at my house, and I'd always get these phone calls every time a kid ran away from ARC. Yeah, Mr. Luskin, you got, we got this kid, he just ran from ARC, can you go find him? And most of the time, we were successful to find him. Mm -hmm. And... That's, and I know Andrew, you were involved in that too, about going to find kids and, and looking at that too. And you know what, it's a, I say people working in this industry have a gift, and the gift is is to, because you can't just grab a kid and take him back to ARC. Mm -hmm. You have to basically talk to him and convince him to go back, right? Yeah, you gotta negotiate with him. Exactly, because mm -hmm. you're not gonna step in front of someone, because by law, you can't, touch that kid mm -hmm. and it's and you wouldn't want to anyway no exactly yeah. and usually they're not with their friends are not the nicest people to be especially when they don't know what's going on so yeah so um back in i think it was in july um another person that i i met uh jeremy ballman uh he is a his background is a, he's a youth pastor mm -hmm. so he would he knows a lot of the kids and people that are in trouble in that. Mm -hmm. And then we even with Andrew, we all started talking and we, we thought about starting an intervention company. Mm -hmm. And we started it off by building it to, see, to test the waters on social media, mm -hmm. the world of social media, which is huge. So we built a social media platform in Facebook and started to promote on Facebook. Mm -hmm. It built huge very quick um to date we have between 26 and 30 million potential followers mm. we were gaining about 150 people a day that would follow mm -hmm. but then of course it's the algorithm that it expands from there and then i started to look at where this is coming from where these people are forming from and the nice thing about social media especially facebook is you can track exactly where they're from mm -hmm. and i had people in countries I had no idea they ever existed. Mm -hmm. um, I had people following and sending me messages from Iceland. Mm -hmm. It is a worldwide exposure. Mm -hmm. um, and I can tell you this, they shut down Facebook a week and a half ago in Russia and we lost 410 followers mm -hmm. because of that. So you could tell how big it got. Mm -hmm. And you know what, it's, it's the comments I get from people from all over the world about, you know, I'm so glad I read that today mm -hmm. 
because it changed my life. And it could be a meme, it could be a saying, it could be anything. And I know, Dave, yourself, you follow. And I've seen comments that you've put on. And, you know, it is about that. It's to, you'll see something when you're down and out that might just make you think differently. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So. Plant seeds. It, you know what? That's what it is. Like, yeah. You know, so I know I bounce all over the place, but. You go wherever you want. Right? Okay. But that's the thing, too. And that's what kind of got me. And I've always been very humble, but also to help people. Right? So we started to do interventions. Mm -hmm. And some of the beginning interventions were kids that graduated ARC that relapsed and went back out. Okay. And I'll explain one thing about moving the mark. Moving the mark, that name of that. Is that the intervention business? That is the or intervention company? business. Yeah. That is, it. that name came to me in seconds. Mm -hmm. It's been, that name has been sitting with me for a long time. And what moving the mark represents is that mark of relapse mm -hmm. after successful treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and that statistic, there's a, quite a few different numbers. The one that I see the most is between 11 and 17% of success mm -hmm. after treatment. Mm -hmm. So the number is very low. And that's what we've talked about is to just move that mark. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? put as many blocks in front of that addiction that we can. Because that's one thing about working in treatment, I've realized is it's, you need to start reprogramming somebody's mind. Mm -hmm. But if they go back to the same lifestyles, the same friends, the same everything, and they don't change everything, the result is usually not good. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so we started moving the mark. This. Um, some of the first interventions that I was involved in. I remember driving to Sherwood Park and sitting down as a kid's mom messaged me, messaged me and reached out. The kid graduated a year prior from treatment, was doing well, but went back to the same friends, the same, same everything, and the results was exactly the same. And I lost contact with this kid, but I still kids kept in contact with his mom. They phoned me one day and they said, our son needs help. <laughs> so I said, okay. I, uh, drove to Sherwood Park, Sherwood Park, Alberta, and knocked on their door, never knowing, this kid never knew I was in town, mm -hmm. and sat the kid down. And he was surprised that I was even there. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, after a couple hours, convinced him that he's going to treatment. So it was just basically pulled up, had my car full of gas, gave him 15 minutes to packed his stuff and drove 11 and a half hours to Salmon Arm and put him in treatment. Mm -hmm. He successfully completed treatment after two months and stayed living in Salmon Arm. This kid was one of the biggest Xanax dealers in Sherwood Park and now he's working at Walmart and he's loving it. Right on. Right? So right on. there's a lifestyle change. There's a kid that took it, right? Yeah. Should he have succeeded? The work he did, absolutely. So what's your connection with the treatment center in Salmon Arm, just so other people know, right? Because it's, it, some people might be thinking, well, how the hell did you get to drive this kid 11 hours to Salmon Arm and put him in a treatment center? Because most people encounter the waiting list, encounter all those things yeah. when they're trying to do it. So what was your connect, what's your connection there? So the connection to Salmon Arm, I, when I worked in treatment, I worked in Salmon Arm. Okay. And I also worked in Kelowna. So a lot of my colleagues work at this center, ah, right? Gotcha. And, you know, when people 
are going into treatment, you want to find out, especially as an interventionist, to find out and put them in the best spot, mm-hmm. right? Because you're taking, you're taking their life on. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put them in a place that you're going to have to deal with it. You want to try to find a nice fit, right? Exactly. Yeah. So with some of the people there I worked with, I trust them. Um, the involvement I had there is I spent a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew what people were going to get, yeah. right? So nothing against centers around here, but they're busy. Like some of them are a year and a half. Yeah. Some of them you need to be detoxed for two weeks. Yeah, so, and most of them have a, an absolute detox of five days yeah. without question, and then sometimes longer. Yeah. Here's the problem with that. Yeah. If you can stay clean for five days, mm-hmm. there's not a person in addiction. Well, there's very few the people that are in addiction. Mm-hmm. They think they can do it themselves, mm-hmm. so they never take the next step into treatment, mm-hmm. right? And then they go in deeper. So with this center, they would detox them, Mm-hmm. and they would stay in-house. Okay, right on. So, so they have a detox center there. Yes. Right on. That's, that's, I was talking to someone else about it this week, is that yeah. one of the things we could do in this town in terms of like safe consumption sites yep. is put them in the buildings where they could be treated, yeah. right? As opposed to making them go down through Drug Central, getting their drugs. Yeah. I don't understand why we didn't do, the, do this right away. But anyway. Yeah, I'm well, and that's that. true. Like, you know, they go into... Uh, detox center here. Yeah. Um, they have to wait in line. Yep. They come in. They pick the first people to fill the beds, mm-hmm. and those people are in. The next, the next go home, and come back the next day. Um, Every day between seven and eight, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there is some around the area. Like there's one in Leftbridge. There's one in uh, Fort McLeod. Mm-hmm. But they're they're some of them. People are on waiting lists for months. Yeah. Some of the treatment centers here in 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 Calgary. They have a year waiting list, mm-hmm. and it's like those people aren't going to make it for a year. Well, I mean, and the whole thing about it is trying to keep on the phone every day, right, to keep yep. them engaged. Mm-hmm. And I remember that for trying to teach people, just keep calling back because you just never know, right? Yep. Like, it's yep. that daily grind that we have to get into, you know? Yeah. Well, even one of, the, one of the clients I worked with before she went into treatment had to get detox because she was local and she needed mm-hmm. to get in right away. Um, she had to call at eight o'clock every morning yeah. and say, is there a spot? And she did that for two and a half weeks, Yeah. but she couldn't stop using. So someone in using, their alarm doesn't go off at eight o'clock. Oh yeah. And chances are, if they have to wait, it's going to be a long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then too, even if they go through their seven day detox and get detox, mm-hmm. then most of them don't think they have a problem. Yeah. You know what? I spent seven days. I got clean. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Well, then they're spitting that that big nasty yeah. dial again, right? Yeah. So yeah, so even with this intervention I did in Sherwood Park, um, I'll never forget that, as, that when I had the, the client in my car ready to leave, five cop cars showed up in, the, in front of his house mm. to arrest him okay. for selling, dealing, whatever. Mm. The odds of that happening, that's the higher power, mm. right? And I gave, I bet, the staff sergeant walked up to me and asked who I was. I told him what I was doing. He goes, we're here to arrest him. And I said, and then I just talked to him, said he's willing to go to treatment. Mm. And I gave my card and they collectively, all five cops said, yeah, okay, we'll let him go. Right on. They stayed in contact with mm-hmm. me. One was a uh, officer from Wetaskiwin working overtime and um, took a couple of my cards because mm-hmm. it's a problem everywhere. Oh yeah. So yeah. we drove them 11 and a half hours during the forest fires mm-hmm. to get there. Yeah. No stopping. 
Right on. And got him there and pretty much he's alive today, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's the hard part about working in addiction is there's a huge success stories, but mm -hmm. there's the heartbreaking ones. Uh, yeah, you're right. There's huge successes, but there's so many deaths oh, that God. it just, it overwhelms the successes mm -hmm. sometimes, right? I went to a funeral in yeah. November that was, every one of them is heartbreaking, mm -hmm. but I had, I remember curing that feeling of anger hard again because I was so sad that it happened and it was a 17 year old boy. Yeah. And this kid I knew very well, he came to my house for seven months and he ended up overdosing and passing away on a drug that wasn't his DOC, mm -hmm. his drug of choice. And I remember being at his funeral and I was so angry that he did that, mm -hmm. right? Because I knew what kind of program he carried. Yeah. But then I realized this disease is so powerful. Mm -hmm. It is unbelievable. And I've seen that over and over where people have all the rights to succeed and they don't. Yeah. And it does, it, it can shatter you. Mm -hmm. But working in this industry, you have to check that at the door. Mm -hmm. You can't, it's sad, but it's part of this disease of how horrible it is. Mm -hmm. It's not discriminatory no. at and all. Do you find that having a, like working with someone else like Andrew here, yeah. and I'm gradually gonna swing it over to you, Andrew, so prepare yourself. Yeah. Um, but do you find it's a little bit easier to handle some of that stuff, like when you're able to talk to someone and yeah. bounce it off of each other? And... I, I, am, I do, I, I will talk about it, because mm -hmm. I remember where I come from, mm -hmm. and where I came from, I wouldn't talk about it, mm -hmm. and I know how hard that is to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And believe me, I can be my worst person for beating myself up. Mm -hmm. So you have to talk about it. Yeah. You know what, you have to share that. You have to, you have to give it away, mm -hmm. right? You know, and you need those people in your life that are unjudgmental that you can trust. And Andrew's one of those guys. Andrew mm -hmm. and I have had conversations for days and hours about everything, right? Yeah. It's about that. And it's not just about your son in addiction or someone passing away. It's about your daily routine. It could be a divorce. It could be a separation. It could be um, anything. Lots of job. Anything, anything right? Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. If you don't have those go-to people in your life, find them because that could save your own, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so um, now we are, um, we have a huge presence on Facebook. Um, and we're just going to plug away. We're going to do a company announcement to explain mm -hmm. what we're doing. And we had something that came out last week um, from the amazing people at Kiana Coffee, oh, which, okay. yeah. which I know very well. And Andrew does too. They have um, produced something for us. We have our own coffee blend. Oh, yeah. So, Can I see that? Yes. Thank so you. I do have some for you. So it's our own coffee. It's a balanced blend from Moving the Mark. So the idea cool. about this is... Yeah, so it's our own blend. And yeah. um, where are they available? We will. They just came out, so we will be selling them. Okay. At uh, and the proceeds will go to mental health and addiction. Yeah. Um, we are going to promote them on moving the mark. Mm -hmm. I've talked with the sales manager for Kiana Coffee, and she, okay. he's going to push them on Amazon. So cool. Uh, they are really cool. That is really it's cool. Really good coffee. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's I bounced it off um, the owners at CIR Realty, mm -hmm. and they're on board. 
right. they're going to look at giving back because, you know, everyone wants to be part of it. Because I can tell you this too, and you know yourself, Dave, is that I don't think there's a person in the world out there right now that doesn't either know somebody or has someone in their family or been through it themselves as somebody that, that struggles with this disease. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and it proved even with um, launching Moving the Mark and how it builds, mm -hmm. and it is a worldwide thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, with this last two year pandemic we've been through, it has excelled horrendously. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, right? Exactly, yeah. right? So yeah, so this coffee is going to be available. We're just doing the final touches. We have 250,000 K-cups. Mm -hmm. We're also going to look at putting it into other methods to fit Delivered, other coffee yeah. things. So yeah. yeah, so I have some for you, and cool, it's good you. coffee. And, you know, yeah, and even Andrew likes it. Really? Yep, he does. Still not saying a word, eh? You're just I like know. eyeballing. And so, if you don't mind, sure. thank you so much, Tim. Like, I'm, yes. I'm excited. Coffee, like, this is great. Yeah. I love it. Um, and keeping moving the mark, like, on people's tongues. And, like, because yeah. somebody asked me this yesterday, and it came up when you mentioned um, about trying to be there to bridge the gaps between yeah. relapse and stuff like that. Yeah. Somebody asked me if I, if I call it relapse or what do I call it? Recurrence. And I say, I don't call it anything. I call it. The nature of an alcoholic or an addict. Exactly. It's not to me. It's not. There's no shame. There doesn't need no. to be. Because every time, like I've heard, as an alcoholic, every time I hear someone come back, I just I feel the shame they're carrying, right? Mm -hmm. And and when they talk to me, I say, hey, what else were you gonna do? Yeah, You're yeah. an alcoholic. Like chances are, unless you work diligently, you will drink again. Yeah. I will drink again uh -huh. unless I work diligently. Yeah. And and so trying to pass that on is. It's tricky, but well, it's it's part of the circle of addiction, right? It is. Yeah. It is. You know what? And I and I know a lot of people. I work with a lot of people that have had stumbled, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And those people have strong programs today because mm -hmm. they remember where they come from. They get that taste of, like, this is how bad it can get, mm -hmm. and they all know, through experience, that it starts off where it left off. Right? Exactly. And you know what? That's the thing. And it's, I. Those are the people that just look at things differently, right? They have mm -hmm. to look at things differently. Yeah. And you know what it's, it is? It's, it's, it's an interesting world. It intrigues me to no end. Mm -hmm. I don't drink, mm -hmm. don't do drugs, never have. Smoked weed in high school. But other than that, I go for a couple of drinks. But the problem that I have is I always want to know, I always think about how I'm going to feel the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And... I have that switch. And, you know, even people in treatment ask me, like, do you drink? And I said, yeah. And they said, how can you do that and stop? I said, because mm -hmm. I don't have, and I, I called it the bug, mm -hmm. but I don't have that bug that keeps, I have that shutoff switch, right? Mm -hmm. And I have all the passion in the world for it. But you know what? It's, it's, it's a tough industry to work in, but it is, it is an amazing industry mm -hmm. when it comes to that. And I, yeah. you know, it's about just, like I have people reach out to me all the time mm -hmm. and I give them all the time in the day. Right. So right on. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. You're so welcome. Andrew, how did you get involved with this? What's your story? Mr. Silent, creepy guy in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very similar to Tim's, but in its own way, different, right? Um, 2013 was when my son went into ARC. And it was sometime thereafter I met Tim. Obviously, my son had been using before that. And the whole 
you know, spectrum or whatever of experience in terms of ADAC and counseling, um, going to all who we thought were the right people and being told what I now assume to be the same things, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and not to point fingers at anyone, but, you know, going to see a psychiatrist and being told that, actually being told that I had an anger problem, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and I'm kind of referring there to deflection, right? He was a master at it, and mm -hmm. I think I think a lot of those kids were. Yeah. Um, so Tim and I met, and and we had some kind of common ground from when I say past lives, in kind of being first responders. So, mm -hmm. um, and so we kind of just clicked, and that's why we went out looking for kids, a few kids together, and we've stayed friends ever since. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, because I forgot you're a retired first responder. Yeah, yeah, and that—that that, as you said that, I was like, oh yeah. Sorry, yeah. carry on. No, Thank so you, you reminded um, me of something, but yeah. <coughs> uh, and so when when my son went through treatment, I think my journey was a little bit different to Tim's. Mm -hmm. um, we were at the same meetings and all of that, but I didn't do a lot of step work. Um, and, and I can only speak to my story, right, and tell mm, the truth. So, of course. Um, I, I, my opinion is a lot of dads don't put a lot of effort in. They don't take advantage of it at the time. Um, I got to step three, which for anyone knows the steps, at least there, you, you can kind of get there on a free ride, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, I it feels did, like you'd get there on a free ride. Yeah. Right. Um, you didn't have a free ride going in there. No, that's true, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I, I did also drink the Kool-Aid. I did, um, I, I felt, I, I was, I, I felt guilty a lot being there, not because of my son's situation, but th there were so many stories that were so heavy. Mm -hmm. And my son's story by comparison was very light. Um, he did get in trouble with the police, but only once. Mm -hmm. um, his drug of choice was marijuana. I, I, I absolutely, I, I think there are a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me about this whole thing. And mm -hmm. I'm talking from the medical side, the chemical medical side mm -hmm. as well, you know, on the effects it has on the brain up to and around age 25. Mm -hmm. I'm not the guy to speak to that. I just parrot what I've heard from people smarter than me. Mm -hmm. But I but do. But it makes sense because the brain's developing, right? Up absolutely. Until then, and anything you put in that brain is going to affect development. Yeah. For sure. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. No I, question. You know, um, so I always felt not worthy being there. So I was fairly quiet mm -hmm. um, in terms of sharing my story and, and speaking up. Um, because like I said, my son's story was fairly um, gentle by comparison to some of what we heard there. Mm -hmm. my, my connection, I mean, so we've talked about my connection with Tim, my connection with the, the tw I call it the 12-step world, actually started when my marriage ended. It didn't start, mm -hmm. but it, it kind of came back around when my marriage ended and you were one of the guys I reached out to, right? Because mm -hmm. when we had gone through treatment with my son, I was like, they've got this. So I really was a happy guy. Mm -hmm. And sure, we can make me a t-shirt that says naive, right? But whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I like to say optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, like I really did trust them 
and my son did really well. By comparison, he was only in seven months. Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and it really, you know, to this day, because maybe people are wondering, he's clean, he's in university, he's been working an internship at one of the big companies downtown. Mm -hmm. he's, he's killing it, so to speak, or, or doing really well. I shouldn't use that word, but he's, he's doing really well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I am massively grateful, but it also has massively changed my perspective on a lot of things. I, I kind of, when I say I go through life now, I don't want to say there's two kinds of people, um, but there's kind of two kinds of people. There's people that have had to wear certain shoes and had certain experiences and, and they get it. Mm -hmm. and, and then I say there's the lucky people mm -hmm. and I was talking to someone recently and they're like are they really that lucky and I'm like yeah because pain sucks mm -hmm. <laughs> you know looking in the mirror sometimes sucks unless you're just shaving and brushing your teeth mm -hmm. it's hard um, and, and so yeah uh, <laughs> sometimes your brain just Dude, this going. is not an interrogation my friend no, <laughs> well, no. I could, yeah i could jump in too for sure know. jump in yeah so yeah so then <laughs> thanks andrew so then andrew and i start to do a lot of work together yeah right <clears throat> you know i knew what he was going through but that's the nice thing about the program right mm -hmm. and i'll say this as a program is you get that relatable thing because we work together on the steps but I got just as much out of it as he did mm -hmm. because I could relate to that. So it actually benefited me mm -hmm. by hearing his story yeah. because I could relate to it, mm -hmm. right? And the bond that you'll make with somebody that is going down that same path of recovery mm -hmm. as a parent of somebody that's in addiction is priceless, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like I have friends today and Andrew is one of them, that man, I can tell him my deepest, darkest secret and mm -hmm. he would understand. Yeah. He wouldn't judge me. He would give me advice and I'd accept it for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? It's, he knows how bad it can get because mm -hmm. he's told me that. Yeah. But I've also told him the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that friendship is priceless mm -hmm. because you have a lot of friends in your life, but sometimes they really don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. When it yeah. comes to guys like him and I and guys that work together in a program or if you're sponsoring somebody mm -hmm. um yeah you're not one up on him you're right across the table and mm -hmm. you're very relatable well you're right, right next to each other yeah. exactly and yeah. it's like people that are in addiction when they when they've graduated programs so they get sponsors that is your lifeline mm -hmm. it's same with us as parents that's your lifeline yeah when you're broken you make a call mm -hmm. because like i said um earlier and I've played this, is that agony of holding on to something mm -hmm. is your option, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You can't keep what you got until you give it away, right? That's right. And yeah. I know there's so many slogans like that in mm -hmm. AA and NA and even Al-Anon, but you know what, all of them make sense, right? I think what's really cool that you, got, that you mentioned is one thing that ARC does really well, uh, yeah. there's probably lots of stuff they might not, is that peer support aspect, right? Like yeah. where you have because your dad's your peers. Your, yeah. Well, your parents, your peers, right? Yeah. And even other organizations, like, I mean, I almost dropped dead when I heard that they did this because I was like, that is just so smart. Like, even AHS starts hiring peer support. Right? Yep. And they're, because they're starting to see this is a vital component, yeah. right? We, we might listen to doctors 
but we'll definitely listen to doctors if we have some peers who are also supporting us. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because then we can bounce it off of each other and say, like, is this reasonable? Like, this doc wants to give me 100 oxys, right? Like, mm-hmm. not reasonable. Those kinds of things. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's a thing, too. And it's like even working in treatment. You know, I get a lot of clients that are that talk to me about this because I'm an Al-Anon, mm-hmm. right? So I'm part of their either in in... I guess in the category of their husband, wife, friend, parent, mm-hmm. right? They're so curious about what my feelings are yeah. about the process, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the part of it they don't see. It's like I said, it is a family disease mm-hmm. by far. And I remember telling people like, you know, it affects every single person in the family, mm-hmm. including your dog. Because mm-hmm. it has for me, because when my son was out using mm-hmm. and being back and forth at home, my dog has never had so many walks in his life mm-hmm. by him just to get out of the house. Yeah. Right? And that's, it's true. Because mm-hmm. um, how, do, how do animals get rid of that stress, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they got to play and run and walk. And, yeah. yeah. But if he couldn't get out of the house, he'd take the dog for a walk. Ah. Usually about seven times a day. Nice. So you know what? It, it became that. It, that became his kind of mm-hmm. exit out of away from us, right? right? But yeah, getting back to the Al-Anon program, like, you need that. Mm-hmm. Like, that is so crucial. Because, yeah. you know, people don't think that they're damaged. Mm-hmm. And you so are. And until you start yeah. meeting somebody that's just as damaged, they, Andrew and I have, put it this way, we've cried many times together mm-hmm. in such a beneficial way that it, mm-hmm. it helps, right? I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. crying is, it does help. It's very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very so. I was going to ask someone I lost it. Oh, I relate to that though. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm grateful to be around people who understand. <laughs> I was I have no idea what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh Can you go what were you saying about 30 seconds ago? Cuz it sparked something in my brain and then I was trying to pay attention to something else you were saying. How about crying? Yeah, no, before the crying. Before the crying. Yeah. The crying got me to sidetrack. Um, just related, be, or being related to somebody yeah. else. Yeah, and yeah. being connected that way. That's right? the thing, yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, even as, a, this is what it was, you popped this into my head, even as an alcoholic, yeah. like, I encourage other addicts and alcoholics to go to Al-Anon. And the reason I encourage them to do it is so that they can hear what their behavior does, right? Yes. And that, because that's what I learned. I, mm-hmm. I came in and my, my, not only my first sponsor, but my people who were supporting me said, you might want to go check things out yeah. and see like what really applies to you, like mm-hmm. NAAA, all of, all of them. Yeah. And then I went to Al-Anon, then I went to uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics, because my parents, both addicts if, and a codependent, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and an Al-Anoner. My mom is a 20, 30-year oh, yeah. Al-Anoner, right? Yeah. So, um, but those are vital. Oh, they're huge because right. it's like this saying: "There's three sides to every story," mm-hmm. right? Um, and I—that's how I learned a lot of the program. Even working in treatment, I learned a lot more about it. Yeah. Is because part of the support I'd have to I'd do is take clients to meetings. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they found out I was an Al-Anon, I'd be the first person that would have to share. Yeah, they'd ask me to share, yeah. and it was all eyes, ears on because they—they. Mm-hmm. They, that's a part of the story they don't hear. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not that they don't hear it, is they're hearing it from somebody else. 
that relates to their situation, right? Which is harder to see the truth. Exactly, right? So, and I learned a lot because of listening to their stories. Mm -hmm. And can I relate to somebody that um, does fentanyl? No, I can't. Mm -hmm. I've done fentanyl once in my life. The fentanyl I did in my life was when I had an apodectomy and got my appendix out. Mm -hmm. And hydromorphine wasn't doing it, so they gave me something else. And I, they gave me hospital medicated fentanyl. And I didn't know it was, I got it until I mm -hmm. asked. And that's when I knew what the feeling was chased. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that's at the stuff that's on the street is a hundred times stronger mm -hmm. than what I got, and I'm like, wow. Hundred times stronger and dirtier. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't know, yeah, where yeah. it's come from, right? And but then it gave me an idea of what the feeling someone's chasing, mm -hmm. and I look at if they're looking for that, what's behind to get to that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's like the world of, and drugs are only getting stronger, they're getting more available, mm -hmm. and the age group is dropping to some of these young kids. Like yeah. I met a kid that's 11 years old, and he is a heroin addict. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the kid looks seven years old, and I, I sat across from this kid, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, like where did that kid come from? Exactly. Like, what's going on? What happened to that kid? You know. Yeah, and you know what? And then I've sat with people that have been in in treatment at eighty five years old mm -hmm. and started drinking when they were twelve, and now they want to get sober. Mm -hmm. All the like those people people that are in people that are in treatment are my heroes because mm -hmm. they've made that decision to have a better life, right? Yeah, and then. I get to stick around, especially working in treatment, and see the, the gift. I get mm -hmm. to see someone come out of hell. Mm -hmm. I get to see them change, and that is beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is. And you know what people say? Stick around until the miracle happens. Mm -hmm. You can see it. Yeah. And you know what? That's, and it's the same thing with parents, right? You see how they, they come out of hell, mm -hmm. right? And their life changes. Well, and, and that's just it. Like you mentioned earlier that it's a family illness, and it mm -hmm. is. Like, it no is. question. Like every member of the family starts picking up mannerisms, like defense yeah. mechanisms, and all these different mm -hmm. things to survive in that environment, right? Exactly. And as the environment gets progressively worse, the coping mechanisms get worse. Yeah. Because well, they, we do what's natural to us. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if there's pain, most people want to avoid it. So eventually, if we have poor coping skills, eventually we're going to choose something that gets rid of pain. And it's the numbing mechanism that they 100%. go to, right? That's yeah. the go-to, right? Yeah. But I look at this now. My my youngest son suffers with mental health, mm -hmm. and I have a completely different look at that before mm -hmm. today than I did what I used to and looked at. Oh, right? yeah, no doubt. The amount okay. of work you've been doing and, and yeah. stuff like that, you can't, a person really can either get hardened by that work yeah. or softened. Mm -hmm. And I sense softening, right? Like yeah. the softening of the heart. Um, something like what I try to do with people in general is just not kick them out of my heart. No. Even if they make mistakes, like if they yeah. do something to hurt me or whatever, it's like, okay, I might not be able to see you today, yeah. but I'm not going to hate you. No. That's not for me. That's, no. That doesn't matter. Like what really matters in, in the world of mental health and addiction is sharing love and connection. With people, that's right. It. Like, and the truth, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that's a huge component of it. I'm not going to sit there and tell you you're going to be fine. Because if you're using certain things, you probably won't be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
but the reality doesn't have to take away compassion. Exactly. Yeah. And all you do is give them the light and they make mm -hmm. the decision, right? That's totally. where it comes down to, right? And, it, and whatever, whatever path they choose, mm -hmm. you're completely powerless over what they're going to do, right? Yeah. And, and our job anyway, yeah. for people who go back out, is just to be here when they come back. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's it. Pray for them when they're out mm -hmm. and kind of pray, hopefully they get back, that they hopefully get back. Because mm -hmm. I know in both scenarios. Yeah. That when people go out, it's it's you don't know what's gonna happen. Not lately, the last couple of years, we don't see them again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the hard part too. And it's like that's the fear, right? Mm -hmm. But it's part of it sucks, but it's part of the whole process, right? Yeah. And you can't you can't you, there's no magic wand out there as much as I would want it to just bang someone on the head and say, you're good today. Well, I think that's the trouble, Tim, is that yeah. a lot of organizations want a magic wand they approach, do. and they try to sell that to people. Right? They do, and it confuses people. And oh. then they're, there's then a reason there's 17% coming out, right? Exactly. Like, there's a reason that. It's mm -hmm. not because we're doing something right. Yeah. We might be doing something right, and then yeah. a lot of... On the outside, like I heard someone, he was so angry at somebody about who had gone back out, and I, he asked me what I thought, and I said, well, I don't think about it. No. I, I said, the only thing I think about is hopefully he gets back. Exactly, like, yeah. Right? Like, it's okay to be upset because you think someone's going to die. Like, I get that, because yeah. we're afraid, we get mad. Yeah. But why take that out on them? No. Well, <laughs> and you know what? It's not it, their fault. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I've seen the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde mm -hmm. over and over and over. I've had... I have had someone living with me for a year to be sober mm -hmm. and just having a healthy lifestyle come to me and say, Mr. Leskin, can you talk for a second? I said, sure. Mm -hmm. She's been clean a year and said, I need to go use today. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to go get high. And I'm like, it was a decision I made. I can't change that. I can just lay out what could happen, mm -hmm. but I could not tie someone up and say, you're not doing it. Yeah. And she went out for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Today she's sober. Nice. And, but we have to do that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think some of the mistakes people make, and probably parents, you guys can probably attest to this, is that overbearing try to control what they do. Wow. And they is, need suffering just like we do. Is right? that, Everyone does. Is that the nail on the head? Um, and I learned to realize this. I could take out my son in a heartbeat mm -hmm. by my actions yeah. in a second. And I never thought that was possible. Mm -hmm. My actions could make him use. Mm. And then till I realized I just have to keep my side of the street clean, mm -hmm. right? And support the process. Mm -hmm. But I never, that was a hard pill to swallow is that I didn't realize how quick I could take him out. Well, and it's good you mentioned that because that's a lot of us. Yes. A lot of us forget that, yeah. that when we have some time and we have some sobriety and maybe a little bit of serenity or even yep. sanity, if yep. you want to call it that, it's our responsibility to be compassionate and inviting to people who need help, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Not, why are you back again? Yeah. And I remember hearing that shit when I grew up as a social worker, right? Like, why yep. are you back here again? Not, I never said that because no. I... Obviously, you're back here because you need help. Exactly. Like, what kind of a dumb question is that? Why are yeah. you back here again? Um, but eventually, we figure out through time and love yeah. and compassion that and work because you've both done the work, obviously, right? So mm -hmm. we can 
it's probably a little bit easier for you both to get your egos out of the way. Yeah. Right? When you're doing the work, it's about that other person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Just be grateful they're sitting in front of you mm-hmm. asking for help. Yeah. Because they don't have to. Exactly. What time are we at? Wow. Oh, you guys have anything else you want to talk about? That was pretty awesome. I'm good. I could talk forever. Yeah. That's one thing about this subject, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's my heart, my passion, and, you know, it is. Mm-hmm. I, Mine too. That's, I just don't want to yeah, exactly. talk about shit. No, exactly. <laughs> but no, thank you a million. Mm-hmm. It was, this was awesome having you guys here. Andrew, I am eventually going to get your story out. Chatty you. as usual. Yeah. <laughs> He's so chatty. It's just good to see you guys. Yes, you know, it's you too. And as you haven't seen you for a long time, so it's really nice. Thank you both for coming in. And so before we shut it off, uh, Moving the Mark, right? Yes. Uh, And keep an eye on Moving the Mark's website, Facebook page, uh, because they are going to be selling their coffee. This coffee has their name on it, and it is brewed, like, put together specifically for you guys. Yes, for us. Right? It's our own coffee blend. and yeah. Right on. And then you mentioned another organization you started, Four Boys? The Four Boys Fund. Is it F-O-U-R Boys? It's the number four. Number four. F-U-N-D okay. fund. Fine. And you can find that. You can Google it and find it. Okay. Four yeah. Boys Fund. I wanted to make sure we got it written down. Sure. Because we both forget things by the time you leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, what did they Oh what shit. was their names? <laughs> what was their names? <laughs> if I forget your guys' names, that's problematic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway, thank you both for coming. Thank you, Dave. It's just so like my heart feels overwhelmed whenever I get to sit with people who are doing for others. And so thank you both. 